with that said, I love this time of year. I especially love the first Sunday of the year because no matter what happens over the next 40-ish minutes, uh, this will be the best sermon I've preached all year. Right? No, matter, no matter what. I can't say that for sure next Sunday, uh, but, but this Sunday I get to say that. So, um, but, but also, this first Sunday of the year is special for me here uh, because this is, it was the first Sunday of 2021 when I uh, preached my first sermon as your campus pastor. And so we've been doing this thing for three years. Um, it's, been, it's been, sometimes it feels like it's been 10 years. Sometimes it feels like it's been two weeks. Uh, but it has all been, it has all been awesome, right? I, um, sometimes I'm still amazed that I get to do this. I went from like three years ago, I was leading worship, leading music on a Sunday morning, and then uh, leading a student group of middle schoolers, just trying to get them to like leave each other alone. And to think that I convinced Roland and Tracy and the search committee to like let me have this role. Uh, and then that you even voted to affirm me in this role, like still kind of blows my mind to this day. Um, but I just want to say one, thank you for um, loving my family well and welcoming us into this family. And it really has been like a family. Um, you've, you have loved us, you've served us, you've dropped off diapers and pull-ups on our front porch uh, whenever Kelly was stranded at home with kids. You have, um, you've taken our kids out hunting. The fact that my wife let you take my kids out into the woods with a firearm shows you how much you have grown to become like family to us. So uh, thank you for that. And, and, and I would be remiss if I just didn't say thank you for uh, allowing me to be your pastor and, and to give me room and opportunity and space to grow and mature and learn what it means to lead and shepherd um, over the last few years. And Lord willing, we'll have a lot more years ahead of us to learn together, grow together, get on each other's nerves, for, forgive one another, right? That's what I'm hoping for. So um, anyways, with that said, um, we are beginning a new sermon series this morning uh, that we have titled Grace Made Visible, okay? And uh, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians for the next few weeks. I would have been perfectly fine calling this sermon series Ephesians because I'm not that creative, uh, the, but the staff kind of pushes my creativity and they make me think outside the box. And I'm glad they did because I actually think that phrase, grace made visible, is like a, a perfect summary of the book of Ephesians like in its entirety. Okay? And, and what I mean by that is if you look at the whole letter to the church in Ephesus, right? it's six chapters, and it, it really is um, a a beautiful picture of what, what Paul, the author of the letter, would call uh, the, the gospel of grace. It's a beautiful picture of that gospel of grace made visible in the church in Ephesus. Okay, it's, the letter is, is like rich with doctrine and theology and the things that get my nerd heart excited. Uh, but then it's also really, really practical. Like there's a lot of stuff in Ephesus that's like, okay, I can do something with this in my life today, right? So uh, that, that's where that idea came from, grace made visible. It's God's grace in our lives uh, being visible as we live our lives in response to his gospel of grace. And so um, that's kind of the, the, the 
thought behind the series title. I personally could not be more excited to preach through the book of Ephesians because I don't know if preachers are allowed to have favorite books of the Bible. Ephesians is mine, right? Just love the book of Ephesians, okay? Uh, and um, I, mean, it's, I just like preaching through books of the Bible in general. I think it's a good thing, right? good, a good right thing to help us understand what God has to say in his word. So with that said, if you open up to Ephesians chapter 1, we are going to begin here, as you would expect, in verse 1, all right? Here's what, here's what the scripture says. Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our text for today. If you're wondering, like, really? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay, uh, We will pick up speed as we go through the book of Ephesians. All right? It won't just be like two verses at a time. I promise you that. Okay, But uh, this morning, we are just going to start with those two verses, even though all it is is an introduction, because this morning is going to be a bit of an introduction to the rest of the sermon series. So we'll talk about things this morning that, that in theory, are going to carry throughout the next few weeks together. Uh, Lord willing, this will take us all the way up to Easter. All right? Um, but, but here's what I, what I want you to see, uh, what I hope you'll see as we dig in just, to the, just literally to the introduction, the greeting of the letter, is that even, even just in those two verses, you'll already see, like we'll, we'll dig around a little bit, and I think you'll see there's already God's grace made visible even here. Okay, And so to start, let me take you to back to verse 1. All right, we're going to start with the, the author of the letter. Okay, maybe I should back up. The, the book of Ephesians is a letter written by someone, written to a group of people. And so that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. To begin, it's written uh, by the Apostle Paul, right? It says that in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Okay, so, so the, the book of Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He was the, probably the most prolific um, pastor missionary, church planner that has ever existed. Okay? I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that there is no one more responsible for the spread of Christianity not named Jesus than Paul. Okay? He's like a significant, wrote like half of your New Testament that you uh, are holding in your hands. Like he is uh, just a massive figure in kind of the growth and the explosion and the spread of Christianity um, specifically in the first century, but even today as we read these letters that he's written. Okay? And, and like the church of Ephesus, which we'll get to here in a minute, we know a lot about Paul okay? because he wrote uh, so much of, of the New Testament. And we get like a, kind of a, a real full picture of, of a lot of his story in the book of Acts as well. I'll refer to some of that here in just a minute. Um, but, but I don't have time to do a whole biography of Paul. Okay? I think some of that stuff will probably come out in the weeks to come. But here's what I, uh, I do want you to see is just what the text says. And that is Paul introduces himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Okay, that's significant. Um, generally speaking, an apostle was someone who was, was directly commissioned to ministry by Jesus Christ. Okay, So like 
Most of us, when we, that we think of the word apostle, what probably comes to mind, uh, if you have a church background, if you don't, that's fine. I'm going to fill you in. Um, apostle, we think of like, like the disciples, right? The ones who traveled around with Jesus in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you read through those books, they're, they're the disciples, the apostles. They lived with Jesus, ministered with Jesus, traveled with Jesus. They saw Jesus do all these things. They were, they were on the mountain at the end of the book of Matthew, at the beginning of the book of Acts, when Jesus commissioned them and, and told them to, to go be witnesses, go make disciples. That's what we typically think of when we think of apostle. apostle. But what's interesting about Paul is uh, he was not a, one of those original. And yet he was still directly commissioned by the resurrected Jesus. Okay, Paul has this like uh, very profound encounter with the resurrected uh, Jesus. And our first introduction to Paul is actually in the, the book of Acts. You don't have to turn there. Uh, you can write it down, look at it later. Uh, in Acts chapter 8. Okay, and at that time, Paul was um, still referred to as Saul. Okay, he, he had kind of two distinct names in the Bible. He was Saul, he was Paul. Um, the popular idea is that when God changed Paul's Life. He went from Saul to Paul. It's actually not true. What actually happened is Saul is his Hebrew Jewish name. Paul is his Greek name. He's called that interchangeably throughout your New Testament. All right. When he's ministering to the Jewish people, probably called Saul. When he's ministering to the Hebrew or to the Greek people, he's probably called Paul. All right. Fun fact. Um, but we first meet Saul, Paul, uh, whenever he is a, a sort of religiously elite, uh, religiously zealous member of the Pharisees. Okay, who actively opposed Jesus, actively opposed the spread of the gospel, actively opposed the early church and early sort of Christianity, which was called the way at the time. So if you ever read through the book of Acts and you see something called the way, it's referring to early Christianity. Um, and, and so he's this religiously zealous Pharisee, anti-Christianity, anti-church, until he has a profound encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Okay, and then you can read about this in Acts 9. I'm hoping you'll take my word for it. Um, he's literally on his way to a town called Damascus. He's got letters in hand that are going to give him authority to arrest and imprison Christians. Okay, he is a persecutor of the church. When on his way, Jesus, this is after Jesus' resurrection, after his ascension back to heaven, Jesus appears to Paul in like bodily form and changes the course of Paul's life forever. Okay, and he gives Paul some new marching orders. This is in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Uh, context, Jesus is speaking to a man named Ananias, but through Ananias, he's going to give Paul his new like marching orders in life. And, and this is what he says. He says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he, talking about Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. All right, so there's his new mission. He's going to take the name of Jesus uh, to the Gentiles, the kings, and children of Israel. And then he says this, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so, so Jesus meets Paul on his way to go have Christians thrown in prison. And, and, and Jesus chooses Paul as his instrument to take the gospel to the nations. 
Right? Jesus chose Paul for this work. That's why he says in verse 1 that, uh, that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Okay? The resurrected Jesus showed up to Paul and said, hey, you're on my payroll now. Right? And, and listen, when the resurrected Jesus shows up and says, hey, you're working for me now, you don't have a lot of say in the matter. Okay? And so that's what happens to Paul. And, and from that point on, Paul would go and spend the rest of his life spreading the gospel. So when you think about this sort of profound like transformation in Paul's life. He went from persecuting the church, he went from opposing the church, having Christians arrested, thrown in prison, right? And, and then he goes from that to himself preaching, proclaiming the good news of Jesus to anyone who would listen, right? Both, both Jew and, and Gentile. So you want to talk about grace made visible, the, the, from the, literally the very first word in the book of Ephesians, we see in the Apostle Paul this amazing picture of God's grace made visible in a transformed life. Right? Every aspect of Paul's life was transformed because of an encounter with Jesus. Right? It changed him in ways that were clearly visible. Okay? But God's grace was not only made visible in his salvation experience, Right? It's also made visible in his faithfulness, in his service to Jesus. Okay? In, the, the, in the verses I read just a few minutes ago from the book of Acts, when Jesus commissions Paul into his service, into his ministry, uh, Jesus made it really clear, hey, you're going to go, you're going to preach the gospel, you're going to make my name known uh, in, in all the nations, and you're going to suffer for it. Right? He, he was pretty clear that Paul was going to suffer for this this ministry that he gave him, right? And, and he did. And Paul was, was beaten. Right? He was stoned and left for dead. Right? He was uh, shipwrecked multiple times. Which I got to think, like, if you're a traveling partner of Paul's and he gets on a ship, you're kind of like, you know what, I'll just walk. You know? Right? He's... he's actively opposed by the people he's trying to, to minister to. Right? He, was, he went hungry. He went homeless. He even wrote this letter to the Ephesians from a prison in Rome. Right? I, think of the, the contrast there. Paul went from imprisoning Christians to writing a letter to encourage Christians from prison. Right? You've got like this profound transformation here, but but what, what I want you to see is that if anybody ever had an opportunity to be like, you know what, Lord, I am working for you. I'm working my tail off. I am I'm making your name known. I'm serving you faithfully, and this is what I get. Beatings, stonings, suffering, pain, hunger, homelessness. This is my reward. This is not worth it. Right, if anybody ever had that, like the, that excuse, that opportunity to say that, it was Paul. Right, and yet, despite all of that, Paul's, Paul's life from Acts chapter 9 until he was ultimately um, executed right, in, in following this imprisonment in Rome, all of that was a 
was a testimony, a billboard of God's grace made visible in, in sustaining him and strengthening him for the life that Jesus had called him to. Right? Because this is what, this is what God's grace does. It, it strengthens and sustains people to live in faithfulness to the life that the Lord calls us to. Right? That was true for Paul. It's true for countless examples throughout the scripture. That's true for us. Okay? But I'm getting ahead of my sermon. That'll be for later. Right? So there's plenty more that like, could be said about Paul, probably should be said about Paul. Again, more, more of that will come out um, in, in this series as we go through the book of Ephesus. But Paul's only half the equation here. Paul's the author of the letter to the church in Ephesus, but there are recipients. All right, so look back at verse 1 again. It's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. All right, so the recipient of the letter then is the church in Ephesus. Okay? Now, the church in Ephesus was actually a, a collection of various churches that, that kind of existed there in the city of, of Ephesus. Like Paul, we know quite a bit about the church in Ephesus. We actually probably know more about the church in Ephesus than any other church in the New Testament. Okay? And we get some insight into the early days of the church in Ephesus, in beginning kind of in the, the second half of Acts chapter 18. So again, I'm not going to read all that. I would inc- highly encourage you to go Read Acts sort of 18 through Acts 20. Most of that focuses on the church in Ephesus. It's going to give you some great context for uh, this, this series as we move through it um, over the next few weeks. There'll be a lot of themes that pop up there in Acts 18 through 20 that were going to reappear in the book of Ephesians. So, uh, anyways, more on that in the weeks to come. But in Acts chapter 18, Paul, uh, he arrives on the scene in Ephesus on one of his various missionary Journeys, and he arrives with some, some ministry partners. And, and Paul began his ministry uh, by going into the synagogues, which is the, the Jewish place of worship, uh, and he preaches the gospel and, and he persuades some of these Jews to believe. Right? So they convert from Judaism uh, to Christianity. He, he persuades them, convinces them that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. And they say, You know what? We, we believe this. We're going to follow this Jesus. Okay? And so From there, Paul would leave Ephesians for a while, but eventually he would return uh, and kind of put down roots for about two, two and a half, three years, somewhere in that range. Okay, He he returned, and upon his return, he went back to the synagogues, right? because this is Paul's background. This is what he knows. He's a Pharisee. He's uh, In in his kind of former life, he was a, a religious Jewish man. So he goes to the synagogues where he knows the people. He knows their stories. He knows... Their beliefs, he knows their backgrounds, and he preaches the gospel to them until right, they are, are the, the Bible says they are stubborn and they refuse to believe. Right, Bible's words, not mine. So he preaches as much as he can. He realizes these people are stubborn. They are not, like they're, they're not responding to this. And from that moment, Paul, uh, for the next two years, right, a former a former Pharisee that despised Gentile and uh, d- despised sort of Gentile heathens. Paul spends the next two years of his life preaching in Ephesus to these Gentile heathens. Okay? And again, by God's grace, many of them believe. There's uh, like 
profound things that are happening in the early days of the church in Ephesus, Acts chapter 18 and 19. You've got uh, people being healed of their diseases. You've got uh, demons being cast out of people. You've got people, uh, like, like just the handkerchief that Paul used, like would be taken to people and like they would touch it and they would be healed, which like, that's weird to me. Like I blow my nose and give it to you and somebody is healed by that. Um, but it was happening, man. There's people like speaking in tongues. Like this is like, like stuff that makes Baptist people real nervous was going on in the early days in Ephesus. Okay, just like this profound movement of the Spirit in the early days of the church. There, there's a scene where you've got people being converted and they, and they go and uh, they sort of divulge, confess and divulge their, their evil uh, works. They have like a, like a book burning. I mean, like they're doing some stuff in the early days in Ephesus. Right? They're handing things over that, that had kept them in spiritual bondage for, for their entire lives. So you've got a profound work, profound movement of the Spirit. Such a profound work that um, and the, the spread of the gospel there in the city of Ephesus actually had an impact on the economy. Right? The local economy disrupted because people were converting from idol worship to following Jesus. Right? There was a uh, as we kind of mentioned, there was a Jewish population in the city of Ephesus, but there's also uh, the center of worship in the city of Ephesus was the Temple of Artemis, and that was where uh, sort of the locals would worship this Roman goddess named Diane. And there were some uh, entrepreneurs that would craft these sort of silver uh, idols that were used in worship, and uh, people would come and buy those and go to the temple and worship. Well, all of a sudden, people are no longer worshiping this idol, this goddess Diana, because they believe that Jesus is uh, the Son of God. They believe in the one true God, and so they're no longer purchasing these, these idols. And all of a sudden, there's some guys that get real upset because their prophets have been cut into by the spread of the gospel. There's almost like a riot in the city of Ephesus. Right? So, I mean, I mean, just think about that. Like, can you imagine like a movement of the gospel so profound? Like, Just think here in E-Town. Could you imagine a movement of the gospel so profound that it like screws up basic structures of society? Like the economy's jacked up. Can you imagine that? I mean, like, I, I believe it can still happen. I'd hope you do. Otherwise, there's, we just lied when we sang about him being the same God back then that he is now. Right? But what I want you to see is there's just a, a profound unmistakable movement of God in the city of Ephesus. Okay, so, so again, to go back to our theme, grace made visible. Not only was grace made visible in Paul's sort of profound salvation experience, but, but also in the early church in Ephesus. Right? God's grace was made visible in some really clear, uh, public, powerful ways as you've got people that have turned from idolatry or, or turned from sort of uh, hyper-religious uh, rituals, and, and they turn to Jesus Christ. Right? And it kind of screws up a lot of stuff in the city of Ephesus. Okay, So, so God's grace made visible in their salvation. But, but again, also like Paul, God's grace made visible in their faithfulness. Because look at how Paul addresses them. He says, To the saints who are in Ephesus and 
are faithful in Christ Jesus. All right, I, I want you to, to kind of paint the picture when Paul, this letter to the church in Ephesus is written about 15, 15-ish, give or take a few years, uh, years after Paul originally showed up in Ephesus. So he shows up, he starts the church, uh, he leaves. You can read about him leaving in Acts chapter 20. It's like, like on the right day, if it catches you right, like it'll make you cry. I'm just giving you a heads up on that. Um, so Paul leaves Ephesus, and, then, and he, he writes back to the church in Ephesus. This is what the letter to the Ephesians is. Uh, so this is the people that Paul knows. Or at least the people who were there in the beginning. Like he knew them. These are people that are, like they mean something. They're not just, they're not just, it's not just a number of people. All right, he's probably thinking of faces, people he knows, people he's ministered to, people he's kind of trained and equipped and built up. And whenever he thinks of those people, the first thing that comes to mind, the first, the first adjective that comes to mind, the first description, faithful. He writes to this, this letter to this people that he deeply loves, and he says, to you, the saints in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, right? And so, like, this is no small thing. Because, again, this is a letter written to real people at a real point in time, in a real place. Uh, The city of Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at that time. About estimates, about 250,000 people uh, in population, and because of its location, it was accessible kind of from uh, trade routes there on the Mediterranean Sea. So Ephesus was like this huge, massive city of, uh, like there was trade and kind of different cultures coming in and out. Um, so you got some diversity there just in terms of like cultures and backgrounds and religious beliefs. Um, it, it was known as a city of, of wealth and power. So you think like modern day uh, I don't, just think like a modern day like New York or, uh, goodness, I don't know, I'm not geographically dumb right now, but right, just think of, of whatever city comes to mind when you think of like sort of a cultural melting pot here in America. That's kind of what Ephesus was. Right? To a certain degree, that's, it was a, like a largely pagan city. Right? We talked about earlier, you got the, the temple of, of Artemis uh, there. Right, so the, the church in Ephesus existed in a it really was kind of a, a melting pot of, of cultural and religious backgrounds. They were surrounded on all sides by idolatry, um, pagan worship, the constant allure of, of wealth and money and power and influence and, and all those things that still plague us today. All right, and then on top of, like, those are, those are the external pressures, like what's out there. Right, inside the church in Ephesus, there's even some opportunity for, for issue. Okay, because you know, like the, the church in Ephesus was made up of, it's a diverse group of people. you got a combination of Jewish, formerly Jewish people that have converted to following Jesus. You've got a, a population of Gentiles who um, have converted to following Jesus. So you've got now in this one body, you've got former Jews and Gentiles, and and just to give you a heads up, if you read through the Bible, Jews and Gentiles historically did not get along. They 
they did not play well together. Let's say that. Okay, we'll get into some of that in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3. But what I want you to see is for, for all that could have gone wrong in the church of Ephesus, right, for every opportunity for this thing to sort of crumble, whether it was external pressures and everything going on around them or whether it was sort of division and that kind of stuff to take root from the inside, for all that could have gone wrong, the first thing that Paul thinks of when he writes to the church in Ephesus is he calls them faithful. I'm not saying they were a perfect church because perfect churches don't exist. They don't exist now. They didn't exist then. Right? And, and even more than that, um, some 20, 30 years after this letter was written to the church in Ephesus, there was another letter written to the church in Ephesus, Revelation 2, and, and John actually calls them to repent of some things. So I'm not saying that Ephesus is a perfect church by any stretch of the imagination, but just as God's grace was made visible to them in their sort of profound salvation experience, God's grace was made visible and how he sustained and strengthened this first century group of believers right, to live faithfully. And you got to remember, this is like, this is back in like the 40s, 50s, 60s. Like not, not the night, the original 40s, 50s, and 60s. Right? They don't have hundreds of years of backlog Bible studies to go to to grow and be strengthened and equipped. Right? They don't have like, my office has got like a gazillion books in it that I can read to go kind of learn this or that or the other about following Jesus. And they don't have that. Right? They're, they're like OG Christians, right? And so what a testimony of God's grace that strengthened and sustained them to live faithfully and stay the course surrounded from, from threats from without and threats from within. God's grace made visible in, in how he empowered them to live and serve faithfully. All right? So, so to synthesize all of this together, God's grace made visible in the salvation and faithfulness of Paul. God's grace made visible in the salvation and faithfulness of the Ephesian church. And all that's true, and we could stop there, and you could leave here with some great information about uh, the Apostle Paul and the church in Ephesus. Okay? But... The Holy Spirit saw fit to inspire this letter to be included in the Bible that you and I hold and read some 2,000 years later on the other side of the world. Which means that this letter, written by a specific person to a specific group of people, also has some things for you and I to hear and receive and respond to. Okay? And Lord willing, we'll talk about a lot of those things over the course of the next few weeks. But the question I want you to wrestle with, starting, starting today, and then hopefully I, you'll wrestle with this over the next couple of months together through the book of Ephesians. The question is this. Is, is God's grace made available, made available? It is available to you. That was almost heretical. Uh, is God's grace made visible in your life? 
It was visible in the life of Paul, his salvation, his faithfulness. It was visible in the church in Ephesus, in, in their salvation, in their faithfulness. But I'm asking, what about you? Is God's grace made visible in your life? All right, let me give you just a couple of examples kind of how that might look. All right, you're, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, your salvation experience, whatever that looked like, it, it may not have been as profound in appearance as Paul's. And I don't know your story. I'm assuming the resurrected Jesus did not show up to you. Okay? I, I don't know. Uh, again, I don't know what your salvation story was. I, I don't know that. Maybe, maybe you did. I don't, maybe you did end up going and throwing all your books and CDs and burning them in a pile and be like, we confess and we turn. I don't know. I don't know what your story was. Maybe, but maybe it wasn't as like, profound in appearance as Paul and the church in Ephesus. Mine certainly wasn't. My mom led me to the Lord in the formal living room of our home. The living room where you're not allowed to go in. You know what I'm talking about? Do we, the houses don't even have those anymore, do they? It's like we finally realized, what a waste of square footage. Okay? All right, my mom led me to the Lord in the formal living room of our home where questionable pink carpet, white floral couch. I, I don't know. That style has gone, long gone, and for good reason. I'm getting off track. So, so your salvation experience may not be as profound in appearance as theirs, but listen, it was no less profound. Because we believe what the Bible says, and we just believe what Paul says in this letter. Right, whatever your salvation experience looked like, it was what happened is you went from darkness to light. You went from death to life. You went from a child of wrath to a child of God. And so, like elsewhere, Paul would say, if you have repented of your sin, you've turned from your sin, you've trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are a new creation. It's a profound transformation in your life. You're a new creation, which means you should have some new desires. Right? I'm not saying you don't have to ever have to wrestle with your old desires, but you should have some new desires, new passions, new interests, new priorities. Right? That's how grace, God's grace is made visible in our lives today. Like Our lives should look differently. Right? Now, now, sometimes those things take a while to get to the surface. Right? I don't know a lot of people that became Christians here and then like 10 minutes later never struggle with sin ever again. I, just, I don't know that that's very many truthful testimonies. Okay, but, but if you have truly believed, there should be some evidence, some visibility of God's grace in your life. Right? Particularly if you've been a Christian for some time. Okay, so, so my question, has God's grace been made visible in your, in your salvation? In, in your turning from sin and trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior? Because if it hasn't, if there's just no evidence of any transformation, no evidence of any sort of change, no new desires, no new passions, no new interests, no new priorities, then, then one of two things is true. Either one, 
you're not actually a Christian. Or two, you need to repent of some spiritual apathy, coldness towards the things of the Lord. You need to pray the same prayer that David prayed in Psalm 51 after his sort of reckoning with his own sin where he said, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. It should affect me in ways. It should, it should impact how I live and what I desire and the things that I pursue. All right, so has God's grace been made, made visible in your salvation? And here's kind of the second thing. God's grace is made visible in not only your salvation, but also in your faithfulness. Okay, as we faithfully live out the implications of the gospel day after day after day after day. Right, the, the examples we've, we've seen even here this morning. Right, faithful living looks like remaining faithful in, in suffering and struggles. Right, that's what we saw in the life of Paul. Right, Jesus said, hey, you're, you're going to be my instrument to the nations. I'm going to do great things through you, Paul, and, and you're going to suffer for it. I mean, like, that's a little discombobulating, right? Like, for, for Paul, he's like, hey, you're my guy. You're going to preach the gospel, uh, and, and it's going to be really challenging. Like, I'll be honest with you. I have no idea what the health, wealth, prosperity preachers do with that. Conveniently ignore it, I guess. Okay, because, listen, following Jesus is hard. It's not easy. It is no guarantee that your life gets better or that your life gets easier or that your life, like, there's no guarantee of that. None at all. And yet, I'm not sure that there are, I'm not sure that there are, there are times when God's grace is made more visible than when Christians, followers of Jesus, can walk through pain, suffering, struggle, and say, I, I may not understand why this is happening. I may not understand what's going on here. But even in this pain, even in this weakness, even in this suffering, God's grace is sufficient for my weakness. That's, that's when God's grace is made visible in, in our lives, in our faithfulness. Okay, but, but it's not just in suffering and in pain and struggles. It's also God's grace is made visible um, as we just live faithfully in a culture that is increasingly opposed to gospel truth. It's some of the same dangers and temptations that surrounded the church in Ephesus still surround the church today. Money, power, influence, moral perversion, political corruption, social division. That was true then, and unless you've been living under a rock, that's true now. All right, so I'd like... I, I just don't fully buy the argument that things are so much worse now than they used to be. I think you just have access to it all the time now, so you see it more. Right? And so for us to live faithfully right, means that, that 
Like we, here, here's what I mean. God's grace is made visible when we live in the middle of this kind of culture, the kind of culture that surrounds us now. God's grace is made visible when, when we, the people of God, the church, when we refuse to kind of lay down and wallow in, in the mud of all that and instead live as faithful citizens of God's kingdom, God's future kingdom, in the places and spaces that he's put us here and now. Right? We, when we, we live with purity and humility and unity in a culture that, that is not really uh, endorsing those things as values to be, to be regarded highly. Right, so, just as God's grace was made visible to the Apostle Paul, in the Apostle Paul, just as his grace was made visible in the church in Ephesus, God's grace is still made visible in his people today. And we'll talk about more what that looks like in the weeks ahead, but my question to you this morning is, is that true of you? Let's pray. Father, we come to you and I just thank you for your grace that, that has been made visible. Lord, for those of, those of us that can think of, of maybe who we, we were um, before you or apart from you, um, Father, we thank you for the fact that you, you lavished your grace on us, that there was nothing despite the fact there was nothing good or lovely or lovable about us, but you, in your grace, sent Jesus to die on the cross to absorb all of the wrath and punishment for sin so that all who trust in Jesus might be saved. We might experience this transformation in our lives. And, and Father, my prayer is for us as a people that that experience of your grace would be made visible in our lives. Lord, that there would be a sense of our lives should look differently because of our experience of God's grace. That we should have new desires. We should have new passions. We should have new interests. We should have new priorities. That when we encounter suffering and struggles, that we can remain faithful in it, not because we are strong and awesome, but because you are gracious to strengthen us in our weaknesses. I pray that we would be a people who, Father, your grace is made visible as we live as citizens of an eternal kingdom in a culture and world that um, less and less seems to care or promote the, the kingdom values or kingdom ethics. Lord, help us to be a faithful people in the midst of that. And then, Father, my prayer is, is always, is just this morning, if there's one here that has never experienced your grace personally, they've never repented of their sin and trusted in the good news of Jesus, I pray, Father, that you would bring conviction, that they would respond to this grace that you have made available to all of us. Father, I pray that you would prompt them that they would 
that they would experience the same sort of transformation that we saw in the life of Paul and that we saw in the, the life of the, the Ephesians and, and the same experience that many of us in this room have had. I pray, Lord, that you would, um, pray that you would save this morning. And we pray and ask that you would do that work that only you can do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.